being an earthly father brings so much joy to my heart, right? Our heavenly father is the same way. Imperfect as I am, there's something about being a father to my daughter that has caused her to see me as someone who is approachable, someone who is available, and someone who is accessible. And that's how our God is. I'll say one more thing and then we'll look at the text. Back in the 1980s, there was a New York University professor named John Ball who did a a study, decades-long study, with some of his psychology students. What he did in that study was he took a group of his students and he told them, hey, you're going to be taking this IQ test and we're going to be testing your IQ. But what he did on that test was he intentionally and randomly put all these words on one test that differed from the words on the other test. On the first test, he put words like rude, disrupt, interrupt, arrogant, uh, 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 impatient on the first test. On the second test, he put words like kind, polite, gentle, courteous. But the students didn't know that these words were scattered throughout this test. Decades-long study. Well, what he told his students was, after you take this test, I want you to go uh, meet me out in the hallway, and I'll give you your next assignment. Out in the hallway, Professor Ball was there with an accomplice. And one by one, as the students came out, Professor Ball and his accomplice now in this study would have this conversation and totally ignore the students. 85% of the students who had those words disrupt and interrupt on their test interrupted Professor Ball within the first five minutes. Conversely, the students who had the words like kind and polite and courteous stood there and waited until Dr. Ball acknowledged them. It's called the law of priming. And what that law suggests is that every day you and I are bombarded and inundated with information that affects our behavior and our approach and our response to life. It begs the question, what things have influenced and framed how we see God over the period of our lives? If one test with these words scattered randomly throughout the test could influence their behavior immediately after taking the test, Makes you wonder why we respond to God the way we do sometimes. Because this is what I honestly believe, Rock Point Church. Our environment will determine our experiences. And our experiences will determine our expectations in life. Y'all see that? Let me back it up. Because I missed one. Your experiences will determine what you're exposed to good or bad. And what you're exposed to will determine your experiences in life, good or bad. And your experiences will determine your expectations in life from others and even from God, good or bad. Because you and I have all been primed either positively or negatively. And based on the statistics, they seem to suggest that we have been primed negatively when it comes to God. God is distant. God is aloof. God is angry at me. When the truth is, God loves you. 
with an everlasting love. In Isaiah, the Bible says that our names have been inscribed. They've been tattooed on the palm of his hand. That he loves us with an everlasting love. So in Luke chapter 15, which I like to refer to as the lost chapter, and again, I'm rewriting God's resume because I really believe with all my heart if the statistics are true, then there are some of us who have felt that way about God, that he's distant, that he's aloof, that our bad experiences have allowed us to frame what we feel about God. In fact, I was speaking to the young lady this morning, and she said, look, um, my husband was really waiting on this deal to come through. It's amazing that you even called me to ask me about branding because just this morning, my husband said, it looks like I'm not going to get the deal. Why is God punishing me? And this is someone who has walked with the Lord for years. And because of that priming, he thinks that Abba, his heavenly father, a God who loves him, is now punishing him because of one life circumstance. And when bad things happen, we end up rewriting our theology to accommodate a tragedy. So in Luke chapter 15, I promise you, I'm going to crack open the Bible. (laughs) Blessed are the short-winded, for they'll be asked to speak again. Amen? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Some of you like that. You're going to use that. So, Luke chapter 15. Three great stories juxtaposed side by side. It is a teaching method of the rabbis to emphasize a particular point. I like to refer to this chapter as the lost chapter. Because in this chapter, Jesus tells three very specific stories, three parables that are metaphors for a profound spiritual truth. He uses natural things to communicate a spiritual principle. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. So if you want to get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven, this is what it looks like. And Jesus is communicating this to an audience of both uh, ordinary Jews and Pharisees. This is important, Rock Point Church, because the Pharisees were the worst PR firm for the kingdom of God ever. Right? They put all these heavy weights on the people. God gave Moses 10 commandments. They turned those 10 commandments into 600 plus commandments. And these people are weighed down. And every time they see the Pharisees, they're like, man, I got to be like one of these guys. It's all about external behavior modification instead of internal change. And these guys have written the worst resume for God ever. Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He begins to rewrite the Father's resume. And there's something different about Jesus. There's something distinct about Jesus. Because now this Jesus loves the people, he cares about the people, and he's moved with compassion. And he begins to to reframe these people's opinions. He begins to prime them with good information that begins to affect how they respond to God. And he says to them, the kingdom of heaven, if you want to understand what the kingdom of heaven looks like, it it looks like um, a woman who lost a coin and who would not rest until she found that coin. See, the picture of the kingdom is a picture of what happens sometimes and how God responds to our lives when we've been careless or when others have been careless 
with us. The people who we trusted the most, the people who were supposed to be there to protect us, the people who were supposed to be there to care for us and nurture us were careless with us. But God pursues us until the coin is found. Does anybody have a $100 bill in the audience? Nothing less will do. $100 bill? No? I promise I'll give you your $100 bill back. Without fail, someone pops up with a $100 bill in every service that I've done this, and it's usually not me. (laughs) Anybody? Anybody got a 20? You have a $100 bill. I knew it. Awesome. Charlie, is this okay? All right. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you for paying for my Father's Day dinner. I hold in my hand a $100 bill. And this $100 bill is a medium of exchange. I take this, what I have, and exchange it for something that I want or something that I need. Uh, Usually this $100 bill, if it comes directly from the mint, is pristine. It's crisp. You can hear it pop when you do that, man. It's, mm. But over time, this $100 bill is folded. Sometimes it's wrinkled. You don't mind if I wrinkle this. Sometimes it's crushed. Sometimes it gets greasy. Uh, in fact, this $100 bill sometimes get really, gets really funky and smelly. And if you've ever been to Africa and seen the U.S. dollar in Africa, it is filthy. Man, it's been through so many different hands. In fact, all of us begin our lives like that crisp $100 bill. But along the way, stuff happens and it's called life and it happens to all of us and sometimes it happens at the hands of the people we trusted the most who we thought loved us the most in fact zig ziglar said it this way every child is born to win but along the way many are conditioned to lose somebody somewhere told him you can't dream about being an astronaut anymore get real (laughs) you can't dream about being the president of the united states Someone somewhere killed the dream so that by the time that child who once thought they could be an astronaut or this great scientist when they were in first or second grade, by the time they get to college, they've changed their major four or five times before they graduate. Every child born to win, conditioned to lose. They've been primed to lose. And we begin to influence, we begin to see our lives through the lens of what others have said about us. And all of a sudden, this $100 bill that was so beautiful and pristine is just this little piece of paper tucked away. Y'all like that, didn't you? In fact, sometimes it's stepped on. Sometimes, I'm not going to step on it. In fact, sometimes people don't even know you're there. But let me, see how, let me show you how God, Abba, sees this $100 bill. Because the truth of the matter is, no, regardless of what this ball of paper and ink has been through, it's still a $100 bill. This beaten up, mutilated, abused $100 bill will still buy me dinner tonight after I leave here. You know why? 
Because the way God sees you and the way he sees me, it's never based on our performance. Remember what he said about Jesus before he performed his first miracle, before he raised the first person from the dead? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We live in a world and a society that is so performance-driven. You see parents on the ball field with their four-year-olds playing soccer for the first time, and you think it's the World Series. The parable of the lost coin. Even when someone has been careless with our lives, the father pursues us. And then the next story he tells is that parable of the, the lost sheep. Right? Anybody? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to show, raise your hand. But uh, ever felt like you went astray, <laughs> missed the mark, took a couple of detours uh, 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 when you shouldn't have? Maybe you were careless. Maybe you went astray like that lost sheep. Jesus said, "Let me give you a picture of the perfect father. He will abandon ninety-nine to go after the one." In fact, this is what I believe this Father's Day is really about for everyone sitting under the sound of my voice. If you've gone astray. Tonight, he sees no one but you. The perfect Father will leave the 99 to pursue the one. And and in fact, when you read it in Luke, it says that he will take the one, that one sheep that was lost, and place it on, its sh- on his shoulder, the shepherd will, and take the sheep back to the fold. Now, I don't know about you. I love my daughter. But my human instinct is to give her a good old school whipping. Is that, can I still say that? Let me give you an example. I don't know if you can do that. Growing up in Africa, I shared this story with my congregation after the service. They were like, oh, Pastor Ray, I'm so sorry you suffered so much abuse as a child. (laughs) Now, discipline in Africa is totally different than discipline here in America. Discipline here in America is like, all right, Bobby, you go to your room and don't come out until I tell you. And then Bobby goes to his room and he slams the door. And then mommy and daddy go up to the room and they knock on the door and Bobby says, go away, it's my room. Well, how about it's my house? (laughs) So in Africa, it wear you out, man. I mean, hardcore. You know, we all talk about, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Let me tell you what that looks like. That means if I misbehaved down the road and the neighbor saw me misbehave, Uh, not only did the neighbor wear me out, but every other neighbor on the way to my house wore me out. And when I got home, mommy and daddy wore me out. Let me tell you about vintage, vintage. This is my mom's tribe. They peppered you. Take the cayenne pepper, put it in some water when you're not even paying attention, man. In your eye. (laughs) They lock you up in the room and you can hear the screams. Edit this part of the message out. This is not for... And then, if you're really bad, man, they took the really hot pepper, like habanero strength, and they would mash that thing up in the little mortar and the pestle, and every orifice, (laughs) 
And then you go out in the hot African sun, man, and they give you these two massive, like, family Bibles, and you have to stand out there in the hot sun with your arms like this. Your arms go down, man, that cane comes in. Bam! So now you understand why I had a, yeah. It took me a while to understand God as a God of mercy. But that was just African-style discipline in West Africa. No, the shepherd picks up the sheep, puts it on his shoulder, and takes it back to the fold. Jesus tells a third story. It's the exclamation point. It's the bookend on this principle he's trying to communicate of the perfect father. And I close with this. Luke chapter 15. You know the story. I encourage you to read it at your convenience. But in Luke chapter 15, the story begins that the son comes to the father and says, divide unto me your inheritance. Give me what's supposed to come to me. In Jewish tradition, the firstborn son got two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son got a third. Uh, In a way, this son was saying, daddy, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And let me say this to all the fathers tonight. An inheritance is something you leave for your children, but a legacy is something you leave in them. It's Father's Day. I just want you to consider that. Because when I transitioned from living in Africa to America, everything was driven by what you can amass, right? You get all you can, you put it in the can, put a lid on the can, and then you sit on the can, right? Isn't that what usually drives our world? So this father had an inheritance, but what's even more than an inheritance we could ever leave our children is the legacy we leave in them. In fact, I like to say it this way. If you can define and decide how you would like to be remembered, it will govern how you live. How would you like to be remembered as a father, as a man? In fact, it's one of the toughest things, Charlie, preaching a funeral. When you know somebody's been a heathen. I try to tell people all the time. Right? Live your life in such a way that the preacher doesn't have to lie or exaggerate to find something good to say about you at your funeral. That's legacy. So this father has this inheritance. And the Bible says he divided to them, not just to the younger son, but he divided to them his inheritance. And the scripture continues... In verse 12, and, uh, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. What I see in that one verse about the perfect father is this, that God loves us unconditionally, that his love for you and his love for me is not performance-based, that God loves us and believes the best about us, even when the worst is being displayed. Even when the worst is being displayed. That God doesn't love us because we're perfect. He loves us in spite of our imperfections. It's not performance-based. And even when his son was in rebellion, Jesus began to rewrite God's resume, and he began to communicate to this audience That even when the worst is being displayed, Abba, Daddy, 
still loves you. Number two, so that's your first power word, right? If you were to do a Google search for God, the first power word you'd find is love. I need to give you your hundred. Did somebody? Oh, here it is. <laughs> I need to give you your hundred dollar back. Hundred dollars back. I'm gonna put it right here so we don't forget. But the story continues because this son went out and squandered his inheritance. The scripture says on riotous living. It got so bad that he joined himself to a Gentile and began to feed pigs. So that he was at the bottom of the barrel. This was a Jew. And the pigs are unclean. Not only are the pigs unclean and considered an abomination, he's joined himself to a Gentile. The Jews and Gentiles really have no dealings. And life got so bad, this guy was at his worst. And he came to his senses. And he says, I got to go back to my father's house. I think that's such a critical point in the story. Because even in his rebellion, he knew that his father would take him back. We're working with a family right now, and their, young, their, their teenage son has been so difficult. And there was this one last incident, and they said, that's it. They don't want to have anything to do with their son anymore. And we've been trying to intervene and mediate, and now they won't even take our calls. Because our calls are saying, hey, Give him another chance. But God, who is our perfect father, not only is a God who loves us unconditionally, power word, he forgives us profusely. Profusely. Abundantly. In fact, the Bible says that while he was a far way off, the son is running back. The father saw him, and the father takes off running toward his son. Didn't wait for his son to get there. And I could go into all the implications in, in the, what that meant in society for a successful prominent man to pull up his pants and run through the fields. Unheard of! Pull up, not his pants, his uh, robe. Unheard of! It speaks of God's love for us. The fact that the father saw the son means that the father was looking for the son expectantly. Watching the horizon, when will Junior come home? And Jesus begins to rewrite his resume. And he says, Abba is a God who loves unconditionally. He's also a God who forgives profusely. He's a God who pushes the delete button. I love movies. My wife and I love movies. And after we watch the movie, we go to the special features and look at all the deleted scenes. The deleted scenes are the scenes that didn't make the final cut. And you can watch the movie and not even know that those scenes existed. God is the same way with our lives. He pushes that delete button and there's no evidence of what once occurred in our lives because he's that kind of God. He's Abba. Now, the files exist and you can go digging for it and find it. But as far as God is concerned, who is the author and finisher of our faith, when he gave his final stamp of approval for what the movie would look like, the movie of your life, there are scenes he has deleted from the director's cut. He forgives profusely. Jesus begins to rewrite his resume. And finally, the scripture says, he restores completely. 
Let me tell you something about God, and I'm done. Is this like my fourth or fifth ending, Charlie? I'm sorry. I'm done. He forgives profusely. Failure with God is neither fatal nor final. And I want to speak to all the fathers today because it is possible that failure in your family could happen. Someone you love, someone you close, one of your kids. Create an environment in your family where your kids can say, if I can just make it back home. Because that's the lesson we learn from God. Failure is neither fatal nor final and new beginnings, new beginnings. If God was just the God of the second chance, a lot of us would be disqualified because <laughs> I needed a lot more than just a second chance or just three strikes. He is a God of new beginnings. Fathers, let's emulate our God and rewrite his resume by being forgiving. Final thing, he restores completely. To restore simply means to return to the original state of affairs. And God wants to bring every son back to his original and eternal plan for you. Just like that $100 bill. Your value isn't determined by your, what you, your environment. Your value isn't determined by what you are exposed to. Your environment isn't determined by your experiences. Your value isn't determined by your expectations out of life. He wants to restore everything completely. Remember, he came back to the house. He gave him that ring. The ring signifies authority. God says, I'm restoring your authority as a son. He gave him the robe, which is that robe of righteousness. You have right standing with me. We ain't got no beef, son. Give you a brand new beginning. Puts these sandals on his feet. That man, you're part of the family and you can go out in my name and represent me. And that's what God wants us to see tonight. Because this story in Luke 15 is less about the prodigal son and his sin. Your life and everything that may have gone wrong is less about your failure and more about the perfect father who restores completely. And that frame that's been around God that was created by a flawed perception of maybe our earthly fathers or an earthly father figure, I pray it will be shattered today in the light of the truth of God's word. Because our God is accessible. You can draw near to God, the Bible says, and he'll draw near to you. Our God is available. Hmm? And then finally, his grace, his grace, his grace toward us is still so amazing. And what that simply means, he gives us more than we deserve. His grace is greater than we imagine. But this is what I want you to catch. His grace is all we need. Father, we thank you for this time together around your word. Father, I pray for every single father, every son, every daughter. I pray for every family. Because if the statistics are true, if the statistics bear true, then, Father, there is a place for all of us to be healed. There are places in our lives that have been affected, that have been wounded. 
But tonight, Father, in your presence, as we rewrite your resume and discover once again that you are a God of love, a God of mercy, and a God of restoration, I pray that the healing will begin. You are more than we deserve. But God, you're also everything we need. Amen.